0: Welcome to the home of the blessed people, and here is our host pastor, Pastor Dio Adeyemo. It's our month of victory, and we want to continue our series, or we want to start a new series, rather, today about victory. We want to uh, uh, have a three-part series on victory, and uh, what we want to talk about is the believer's victory, But today we are talking about the victory of the church. Because it's the church that is the family, it's the church we were born into. It's through the avenue of the church we came. And we want to talk about the victory of the church. The victory of the church. We just want to teach the basic principles, the basic fundamentals for the church to have victory. Of course, when I'm talking about the church, I'm talking about the church Ecclesia, that the church as a body of Christ, and also you as an individual, as a member of that body, you are also the church. You are also the church. Individuals are the church. A group of believers are also the church. The ecclesia is not the church building. It's not a building that makes the church. It's the group of believers together. So I'm addressing the church as an ecclesia, as a body. And also you as an individual, as a member of that body, you are the church. So in this part one, I'm focusing on the church's victory. The church's victory. The first thing we need to understand in this journey of the church's victory is this. All the promises of God are only for those who overcome. They are only for those who overcome. There are no promises for the defeated folks. Do not overcome evil. Do not be overcome with evil, says the word of God, but overcome evil with good. That's what Apostle Paul says. So we either overcome or we are overcome. In Revelations chapter 2 and chapter 3, the word of God being addressed to seven churches, which is prophetic for our time, telling us also, we are the church, we are the ones, those words are being spoken to indirectly, praise God. So, it's all the things, all the promises of God, all the things God was saying to the church then, is for those who overcome. In Revelations 2.7, Revelations 2.11, Revelations 2.17, Revelations 2.26, Revelations 3, and so on, has made it possible for us that one thing God has made possible for us as believers is that we overcome. All those scriptures that I just quoted is talking and addressing to him that overcomes. Will I do this? To him that overcomes, will I do that? To him that overcometh, this will happen. He that has not hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. To him that overcometh, this will happen. And so on and so forth. You will see that the promises of God is tailored towards those who overcome. And for you and I, it is important for us to understand at this foundation that those promises are for overcomers. I want to speak over your life today. You will overcome. You are an overcomer. You will never be defeated. You will not fall short of the glory of God. In the name of Jesus. All your life it shall be full of glory. All your life shall be full of victory. All your life it will be full of testimonies of you overcoming. In the name of Jesus. Revelations 21 verse 7. Revelations 21 verse 7. He said, He who overcomes shall inherit all things. I will be his God and he will be my son. You see the promise again. It is for those who overcome. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. So it is you that, wow, are, are you an overcomer this morning? Come on, let me see the overcomers in the house. Let me see you as an overcomer in your home. You can place it on the chart that I am an overcomer. I am designed to overcome. I'm destined to overcome. I'm built to overcome. I'm promised to overcome in the name of Jesus. He's talking about the overcomers. He said to him that overcome will inherit all things and I will be his God. Thank you because he will continually be my God. Come on, lift up your hand and say that. I thank you, Father, because you will be my God. There is no middle ground, ladies and gentlemen. You are either one or the other. Is either you are an overcomer or a non-overcomer. In overcoming, this is the first thing you need to know. The first thing we need to understand is that in dealing with satanic forces, in dealing with the enemy, in dealing with opposition, is the fact that Jesus, through his death and resurrection, has already administered to Satan a total, permanent, final, irreversible defeat. Nothing Satan can do about it to change it. It's already done and concluded. Listen to me. In this foundation, you must understand this thing. Because some people are saints, when you say we are going for battle, they think you are just going to start the war. No, a thousand times no. Jesus has defeated the enemy on your behalf. By his death and his resurrection, the devil has been defeated. He has been placed under your feet. He has been placed where he belongs. And you must live your life from this premise and perspective. A total, permanent, final, irreversible defeat has been given to the devil. There's nothing he can do about it. It is irreversible. If you are writing down, write that down. Irreversible. The defeat is permanent. He has spoiled principalities and powers and made a public show of it. It is very important in this foundation that we understand the death and resurrection of Jesus has given the final blow to the devil. And that's why we have become overcomers. Because we have received the works of Christ. So therefore, by our faith latched on the works of Christ, we have already become overcomers. Glory be to God. Why don't you congratulate yourself this morning? Because all the promises of God are for what? They are for overcomers. Amen? Who Who are you in Christ Jesus? Oh, maybe you didn't hear me. I said, who are you in Christ Jesus? You're an overcomer. How did you become an overcomer? Based on what the death and resurrection of Christ has brought for you. But you see, that's the challenge we have in these last days. Many don't know what the death and resurrection has brought for them. They only know about Easter because of the Easter turkey and the Easter chicken. They don't know what the resurrection has brought for them. They don't know what victory has been purchased for them on the cross. But listen to me and follow me. This is the foundation we are starting with. To know that what Jesus has done on the cross, his death and his resurrection has purchased you the victory. Because let me tell you this and I will explain it in the next part. When I will be talking about the thrones. When I will be talking about dominion. You see, he talks about thrones, dominion, principalities, and powers. You see, in the thrones, there wasn't any rebellion. In the dominion, there wasn't any rebellion. The devil only rebelled in the principality and power level. He's still the third level to the highest. He's far from the throne. A lot of theories, we have said uh, the, the devil is deputy god. Who told you? All those things are not, they are not, they are not scripturally founded. The word of God says in, in the book of Revelations that around the throne of God is not even the only throne of God that is there. He said, are thrones is plural. Around the throne are two and four elders, 24. Each of them has their own throne. Where is the devil there? He's far. Far. It's only in the realm, there are thrones, there are dominions, then you have principalities of power. That was where the devil rebelled. The devil, what we could know as Satan today, Satan in the Greek, simply means the adversary. He wasn't, he said, somebody once asked, he said, why did God create Satan? God did not create Satan, as it were. It was Lucifer. It was an angel, an archangel. Maybe in that realm, he might be one of the most powerful, perhaps the most powerful in that realm at that time. And he rebelled. It was when he caught his anointing corrupted. That was when he, was, when he became Satan. In the Greek, like I said, he became the adversary. Praise God. Anyway, that's just a tip on the iceberg. We will we, 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 we break that down next week. Don't miss next week. I've just given you a tip of the iceberg. Don't miss next week. So that when we are talking of overcoming, you, when we talk of victory, you know there is war. Then what are you worrying against? And when you know what you are worrying against, you should know where each layer, where each dominion, where each power that you are worrying against, where they are in the scheme of things. Praise God. Amen. So, say it after me again. A total, permanent, final, irreversible defeat. And there is nothing Satan can do about it. He can't do anything to change it. It is permanent. That was why when Jesus died, he said it is finished. Nothing can be added. Nothing can be taken away. Is an aforesora, a foregone conclusion, Safini, as my French brothers will say. Colossians 2, chapter Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 to 15. Let us see this colossal damage that was done to the kingdom of darkness. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 to 15. And you being dead in your sins and your uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Please, underline the word all trespasses. He forgave you all your trespasses. Talking about your past. Verse 14, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. He took it out of the way, he took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. Verse 15, verse 15, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it underline the word triumphing over them in it now let me explain that a little bit of course this was written in the days of the Roman Empire when Apostle Paul was writing this book to the Colossian Church or this letter to the Colossian Church In description of actually what took place spiritually, he was trying to use words that was common to them, what they understood in their time, to explain a spiritual reality here. You see, in those days in the Roman Empire, when a general goes to conquer or have victory, when he returns to Rome, the Senate, the Roman Senate, will uh, vote. They will vote him... As a triumphant fellow and they will have a triumph ceremony for him. What that simply means is that they are going to put this gener- general on a white horse and he's going to be riding over the streets of Rome and people will line up in honor for this uh, triumphant general. He will be going on the white horse then behind him as a evidence of the triumph the victory he has all the kings or the captains or the generals of opposition that he won and captured will now be at his tail will be at the tail of his trail so it's like a match of triumph that's what they mean by triumph triumph is not a battle it's a celebration of victory do you understand? So, in, including in that, in that trail, you will find that there are animals. That even maybe they haven't seen that kind of animal in Rome before. Animals will be tied. Strange animals. They will tie it behind the general. And the general will be going in front. And behind him, all the things that he conquered is a march of triumph. Praise God. Are you with me? Are you with me? Amen. So, this is triumph, like I said. It's not the battle or war, it's the celebration of the victory already won. Paul, what Paul was saying here when he was talking about triumphing over them in it, what he was saying over there is that Christ, as it were, he's saying that by the death and resurrection of Christ, he was placed in the chariot seat, just like the general will be placed. In the chariot seat in front. All right? And he was placed there. But this time, in the unseen world. In the unseen world, it's as if Christ has been placed on the triumphant seat. And as he's going, and as the whole world is cheering Jesus, behind him are all the devil and his courts. In chains, just like in the physical, how they will see all the, you know, all the generals of the conquered side in chains. The same way in the realm of the spirit, Jesus, as he's been triumphant in the triumphant journey, that principalities and powers, demonic forces are in chains behind him. That is what he was trying to illustrate to them. That as you have seen it physically, so it is in the realm of the spirit, what Christ has conquered. That's what he's trying to explain there. He made a show of them, how? Openly. Triumphing over them in it. He walked the walk of triumph. That this one is not, we are in battle, we are fighting. Mm, we have passed that stage. They are in chains. Are you listening to me? So, so I want you to have an understanding. Every disease and every sickness, every mishapening, everything that you're experiencing that you should not be experiencing. Listen to me. Christ has triumphed over them in it. You have to sit in the realm of the spirit that all those things have been chained when Christ's triumphant entry was going on. It is no more permitted in your life. That is the more reason you will be aggravated against anything that should not be in your life. Because, hey, you are in church. What are you doing here? You are illegally parking here. Come on. Move it. And it has to move. Because he now knows you have a spiritual authority. You understand what had taken place on the cross of Calvary. Praise God. So two things he did for you and I. In this victory, two things he did for us. Number one, the first thing relates to our past that is guilt. The enemy always wants to pin you to your past. Listen to me, ladies and gentlemen one of, greatest, one of Satan's greatest weapons against us is the past. As long as he can keep us guilty, we are no match for him. So make sure, because he has not condemned you, therefore nobody has permission to condemn you, sir. Nobody has com- permission to condemn you, ma. If he has not condemned you, nobody has that permission. So that is why the devil has no right. But the devil today is still putting people in their past. Nail them to their past. Nail them to their past. Everything about their past, is still brings it up and people still accept. With regards to your past, Jesus made it possible for us to be forgiven. How many? All of our previous sins. That's what he was saying in verse 13. All your previous all your trespasses. Please, let's look at verse 13 again. Look at the last part there. He said, having forgiven you, how many? All your trespasses. You have been forgiven. Many people still live in the guilt of the past. Listen to me, ladies and gentlemen, don't let the devil trap you there. There is no way you can have victory. If you are always still in your past, what you did 20 years ago, what you did 10 years ago, what you did five years ago, what you did two years ago, is still the major topic of your life. The devil is not making you make progress. He holds you to your past. He changed you to your past. As you are hearing the sound of my voice today, as many that are trapped in their past, I say, receive your liberty. Save your liberty. Those chains be broken over your life in the name of Jesus. The past will not hold you anymore. It is your year to soar higher, it is your year to fly. No chain of darkness will hold you. The snare has been broken. You have escaped like a bird. Come on, shout, Amen. amen. Praise God. The second thing he wants to do is that he has abolished the law. Of the second thing is that he has abolished the law of Moses as a means of attaining righteousness with God. That's the second thing God did. (laughs) Glory be to God. What did this? The first thing Jesus did, Jesus forgave how many all your trespasses. That's the first thing, He took care of your past. Everybody say, The Lord Jesus has taken care of my past. By going to the cross and resurrecting from the dead, he took care of my past. The second thing, and don't forget these things I'm telling you, he took care of your past and now he's taking care of your present in righteousness. Now listen to me. The only way you could be righteous before God was through the law. Do's and don'ts do's and don'ts. But Jesus going to the cross abolished righteousness from the law. That is, it is not by law you will achieve righteousness anymore. It is by faith in him. So the law, the mistake people have been making is that they think the law is abolished for them. Mm, There are aspects of the law, it still stands. But when it comes to righteousness, Right standing with God. The law is no more qualified. Jesus abolished that part. And gave you and I. The platform. The ground. That we can stand before God. Without any shape. Or any form of guilt. Praise God. In, in short. The devil, the devil can come with a lot of stories. He can come with your past. Listen. There are some he doesn't know. I will even tell him about my past. Maybe he forgot some things. But you see, the verdict has been concluded. The court of heaven has sat down and the verdict came that not guilty. So what do you want to do, devil? It's too late for the devil in somebody's life. Can I hear the good amen there? The law is no longer a requirement for righteousness. As long as the law was a requirement, Satan will keep on pointing to one thing or the other. That a law, an ordinance that we have not kept nor fulfilled. If the law has become the requirement. But as long as the law is no longer a requirement, why? Because of what Jesus has done. So he came, he did not put an end to the law per se. He came to put an end to the law's requirement for righteousness. Our righteousness does not depend on keeping commandments anymore, but depends on faith. For example, Peter, when he was going to fail, Jesus told him, he said, look, your, <laughs> Jesus told him, he said, three times three times today you are going to deny me. Of course, Peter said no, uh, but we all know he denied him. But he said, I'm not praying for you not to deny me. I'm praying that your faith should not fail you. I'm praying that your faith should not fail you. Because once your faith is always in place, once you keep on believing, your faith will take you through. Once you keep on believing, That's why I want to encourage you today. Let nothing ever move move you from your faith. Don't let any criticism, don't let any accusation move you away from faith or from having faith. Once you keep on having your faith, faith in what? Faith that Jesus died in your place. Faith that what? Faith that Jesus bore your sins. Faith that what? Faith that Jesus has made sin, was made sin for you and he offered you his spotless garment of righteousness. Glory be to God. We have been justified just as if we have never sinned. The only basis of victory is the cross, ladies and gentlemen. What Jesus did for you and I. That's the basis of our victory. Not what we've done, Not that we pray 12 hours, we pray 6 hours, we pray 24 hours. No. (laughs) He's praised on what he did. Amen. Once my faith is latched on what Jesus did, there's no devil in the pit of hell that can touch it. I know his level. I know his rank. Amen. Praise God. So don't forget this. Having deprived Satan of his weapon against us. What are the two weapons? Number one is guilt. Number two is righteousness. Unrighteousness rather. Because we have become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So when those two platforms are thumbs up with you. There's no sense of guilt or shame. And you have been able to stand before God without any sense of guilt or shame. Then... The devil is over. But that is weapon against us. But Jesus has also given us weapons to defeat him. He has weapons against us, but we also have to employ weapons to defeat him. So it's a 2 faced battle. Weapons to do what? What does he first have? Weapons against us. Those are his weapons against us. Guilt and unrighteousness. But he has also given us, Jesus has given us weapons to do what? To defeat him. And that is where now we are going to share with you. I'm going to share with you by the grace of God seven of these weapons. If we can't finish it, uh, we will. I'm I'm very reluctant to say next week because what we want to do next week is different. But it's okay. Uh, just in the space of time we have Second Corinthians ten, three to five. 2 Corinthians chapter ten, verses three to five. Are you being blessed this morning? Somebody's an overcomer. <laughs> hey, somebody's triumphing. <laughs> Some people could get confused. They think it is us doing it. No, he's the one who's done all the job. Praise God! Hallelujah! Second Corinthians chapter ten, verses three to five. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Verse 5 casting down imaginations and every thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. You see, first of all, he's telling us these weapons are not carnal. If they are not carnal, it means they are spiritual. Very good. They are spiritual. They are spiritual weapons. Now, what do these weapons do out? Number one, they pull down strongholds. What are strongholds? Arguments, feelings, teachings, fortresses built to prevent the word of God from working for us. Fortress is built by the enemy. So what do we do to it? We pull it down. How do we pull it down? Spiritually. 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 He can label you that you are a failure. And every time, he, when something wants to happen again, you say, ah, the failure. Well, they have said it, I'm a failure. You understand? They say, okay, I win some, I lose some. Strong goals. Those are strong goals he has put there. He has occupied some battlefields of course you know here now when he's talking about imagination and all that he's talking about your mind your mind is your battlefield that is where battle takes place and that's where he brings strongholds against people living in other religions that's where their stronghold is you know the very problem of a jewish man in receiving christ The problem that he has, the stronghold the devil has put in their mind is simply because if if a Jewish man should receive Jesus as the Messiah, he stops being a Jew. That's the problem. That's the stronghold. So that's why we not want to accept Jesus. Islam. Islam. What's the stronghold there? That God does not need a son. God does not need a son. That's what is there. That if I accept his son, God does not need his son. So he cannot accept that son. That's the stronghold there. And that's why some of us who will reach out to these people, because I know God is going to raise some people to reach out to them. These are strongholds you need to deal with. How? Spiritually. Everybody says spiritually. <laughs> In your own life, too, there are strongholds there that you need to deal with spiritually. I'm saying this because you remember we are talking about the victory of the church. So I must tell you some about some lay foundations in some of this area because we are going to talk about how can we bring the church to have dominion. Those are in the part three of this series. Because we must know apologetics. How do we deal with people of opposition? How do we deal with people who don't have the same faith or background we have? So you see here that the, the the battle is twofold. First, we have to release their minds from captivity of Satan. That is when we talk about what we talked about earlier. We release ourselves from the captivity of Satan. What are the weapons the devil has against us? Again, guilt, very good, our past and unrighteousness, our present. So. We release ourselves from that captivity of Satan. Then, the second phase of the battle is we need to release ourselves to the obedience of God in Christ Jesus. So, the second weapon we have is what? Obedience. Oh, the devil fears the Christians that are in total obedience. He fears. Many people don't know that obedience is a weapon against the devil. What was the the devil's biggest offense? Disobedience. He refused to obey God. Amen. So let's quickly go through it because of our time. I want to share with you seven requirements for the church to be in victory. When I'm talking about the church, I'm talking about you as an individual and us as a collective body. Seven requirements for the church to be victorious. Glory be to God. Number one, number one requirement: guard against division. Guard against division. Put a fence up, a wall up against the against uh, against division. Number one. Matthew twelve twenty-five. Matthew twelve twenty-five says, every kingdom divided against itself cannot stand or cannot win. And Jesus knew their thoughts and said unto them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought into destruction. And every city or house, 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 or house divided against itself shall not stand. Shall not stand. Satan's primary attack on the church is to divide us. And I pray that our eyes will be opened. We'll become very sensitive to this. Wherever true believers are, we are to acknowledge ourselves as brothers and sisters and stick with one another. Have one another's back. It's important. We must not only stand by ourselves and treat ourselves as brothers and sisters, but we must also not allow unnecessary things. I repeat, unnecessary things to separate us. Guard against division. There are so many unnecessary things that we allow, we give permission to, to separate us. The, more, the stronger we are together, the stronger the force, the energy, the power that God has given us. No matter who we are, if there's any area the devil is doing a pretty good job, sad to say it's in this area, building division amongst brethren. Make up your mind today that you are not going to be that weak link, you are not going to be that weak person that the devil will use against your brothers or sisters. Your brothers offend you, forgive them. Ask grace to forgive them. Praise God. But know that it's going to cost us more if you are against your brother than before your brother. I hope there is somebody there who is understanding the power of unity. When the two of us face the enemy, we are stronger than the two of us face each other. And the enemy is already against each other. So we just empower the enemy. By making sure that we are not in the spirit of oneness. So, guard against division. Everybody say, guard against division. I will guard against division. I will treat my brother right. I will treat my sister right. I will protect my brother. Protect my sister. I will not tongue lash my brother. I will not tongue lash my sister. I will be for my brother. I will be for my sister. That's how we make progress. Number two, number two, because of our time. Selfishness. Sorry, selflessness. Selflessness. Selflessness is the next thing we need. Is the next weapon we need. We need to be selfless. The opposite of selfless is selfish. Most of Bible-believing Christians are selfish. It's only me, myself, and I that you go for. Don't forget we have a responsibility towards one another. When we don't fulfill that responsibility, we give the devil an upper hand. Praise God. In Second Timothy 3:16 to Second Timothy chapter four, verse two, we see a lot of issues there about moral issues. About 18 moral issues were brought up. You could see that all the moral issues and so on, the root of immorality is selfishness. You can see that. If you want to sum it up in one thing, it's just selfishness. Selfishness is a great enemy. Because we don't indulge in drugs, because we don't indulge in alcohol, because we don't indulge in immorality, does not mean we are separated from the world. The world is still there and how it hooks Bible-believing Christians. Thank God that I've overcome a lot of negative things. Is this issue of selfishness. That's how it links us back to the world. Because carnality still rules. Praise God. Praise God. A lot of Bible-believing folks are extremely selfish. And all scripture is given for us so that we can be thoroughly equipped. Let's read it, 2 Second, Second Timothy 3, 16, then we'll read it up to, up to 4, 2. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God. And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Uh, let's go back to 16. Let's go back to 16, 16. We're going to do 16, 4-1 and 4-2, okay? Well, let's stay in 16. All scripture is given for inspiration of God. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction. You see, for reproof. People don't like to reproof. We are in an age and time where people don't like to be corrected. If you bring a scripture before a brother or a sister that you are wrong in this manner, you will see rebellion of the first order comes up we don't want to be corrected and guess what the devil is happy once you remain that way he's so glad he knows you're on his side you can't take correction glory be to God it doesn't matter how long you are in church keep on going to church I need you as my agent in that church okay make sure you remain rebellious his God is, and you could see this going on. And people don't want to change. This is it. The scripture says for correction. And you want to have victory. Listen to me. He will avenge every disobedience when your own obedience is complete. I know this is a bit tough message today. Believers don't want to hear this. You want to hear the kind of victory that will make you make noise and be glad and all that. I'm happy to give you that too. But I want your, I want your victory to be complete. You need to line up with total obedience. There's sometimes the scripture will give you reproof. There are sometimes the scripture will give you correction. Praise God. Be ready to receive all of it. It's total package. That's why I said all scripture. Not one part of the scripture. All scripture. Praise God. Yes, 4-1. Go on. I charge thee therefore... Before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and dead at this appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be instant in season and out of season, reprove, did you see that? Rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. Now, let me speak to you, child of God, on this screen, on this broadcast right now. Let me speak to you. Now, imagine yourself, God says you should go to a church that is going to rebuke you on Sunday. And you go to the church and it rebukes you next Sunday. Will you go to the same church? He said, no. Why? They rebuked me. Isn't rebuke part of what he's supposed to do? A good preacher? Isn't that what he's supposed to do? He should rebuke. He should exhort with all long suffering. Praise God. It should reprove you. It should rebuke you. It should correct you, and it's part of preaching the word. I said it's part of preaching the word. But the twenty-first century, oh no! If it's not all goody goody goo, huh, ain't gonna be part of it. How can he talk to me that way? In the islands, uh, and also in the United Kingdom uh, and Australia. Thank God for your lives. And those in our local vicinity too, in, uh, British Columbia and in Edmonton and Cal- I just want to recognize you tonight. Thank you so much. I enjoy those questions you throw my way and, um, uh, God bless you. Thank you. It's quite encouraging to see that you are really drinking out of this well. I want to encourage those in our local content too. Don't let those outside take all, uh, all the blessings, amen? Even though we are one big family, glory be to God. I don't want to create competition, amen? But what I'm saying is uh, I've been blessed by your participation and um, I'm trusting God to take you higher. Now, Royal House, don't forget, is a thirst, it's a hunger that I believe the spirit of God is taking uh, us through. And uh, you see, this is a church of the supernatural, This is a church that things will be done supernaturally, especially in these end times. And we must be seen as a church hungry for the power of God to move like never before in our midst. And as we understand these fundamentals of the Holy Ghost, we give him a platform where he can rule, where he can reign, where he can ride over. And we'll begin to see the manifestation like never before in Jesus' mighty name. I've been blessed tonight, and I know you too have been blessed. Number five, verse five, please. Verse five and six. It's verse five and six. So let's do first verse five. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. That's a difficult one. Yea, all ye, yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisted the proud and gives grace to the humble. Verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Praise God. Submission is more of an attitude rather than a code of conduct. It says... "He." How to be submissive is simply by putting on humility. In the Bible days, one of the things that a servant will put on, especially when he's on duty, is an apron. That apron identifies the servant in the crowd that is a servant, identifies the servant in the household that is a servant. You put on the apron of humility. Praise God. You put it on. So that when anybody sees you, I am born, I am here to serve. To serve who? To serve you that have seen me. Praise God. I am here to serve. Put on humility. God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. This is one thing God can't do for us, ladies and gentlemen. Humility is what you do for yourself. You make yourself humble. We want to thank God as a church that this is a culture we have embraced in fasting. One of the ways you should humble yourself. From time to time you humble yourself in fasting. Psalm thirty-five verse thirteen. He said I humble my soul in fasting. I humble my soul in fasting. I humble my soul with fasting. With fasting. Ezra eight twenty three. He was talking about a particular time he had to go on a dangerous journey. He humbled himself with fasting. Why should our soul be humbled? That's the part of us that harbors pride. That harbors pride. That's the the part of us that say, hey, look at me. I'm handsome. Look at me. I'm wonderful. Look at me. I'm a great guy. Look, all attention is on you. That's why we need to humble our souls from time to time. So lest the devil take advantage of us. Are you being blessed this morning? Yeah. Praise God. Praise God. And number four. Put on the whole armor of God. Put on the whole armor of God. I'll be continuing this message next week by the grace of God. I want to trust God that you have been blessed in a mighty way. There are seven I want to give. We are in number four by God's grace. Next week we'll finish the whole seven. Seven requirements in which the church needs to have to overcome the devil. Praise God. It's a weapon of overcoming the devil. Praise God. And I'm trusting God that your life will never be the same. In this month of victory, as we are drilling deeper into the substance of our victory, it will become a revelation to you that will revolutionize your life. You see, humility will not be looking like a punishment to you anymore. Humility will be, oh, it's necessary for me to win my battle. It's necessary for me. To maintain my victory. Praise God. Selflessness. is not going to be something like, oh, you know, that's, that's, that's what some preachers believe. No, it will become a revelation to you. I want to have victory all the time. Amen. Amen. I see God take you to new levels. I see God take you to new horizons. In the name of Jesus. There are people... Under the sound of my voice, your promotion is due. But you see, the humility level you have cannot handle that promotion. It can't. So rather than God bring a catastrophe of destruction, he will keep you where you are. Even in a year like this, a year of great harvest, that your promotion is is unquestionable. But you got to put these things in place. Amen. And I see God do wonders in you. Come on, let's rise up on our feet this awesome morning. Thank you you for listening. We hope you have been blessed by the word today. Please join our services every Sunday live at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. and our Bible study every Friday at 7 p.m. at 95 Church Street, St. Catharines. We hope you have a wonderful week ahead and God bless you.